Good morning, Harlem. I just wanted to thank our brother Kenny for that powerful communion message. He had me back. He had me back there, all emotional, man. That really struck a chord with me. Uh, so, thanks for making it hard for me to come up here and preach, Kenny. Had to go gather myself, brother. But a fantastic job. And of, of course, the choir. I mean, come on. And did Dylan tell you guys that he wrote that song? Dylan wrote that song. I know he likes to be modest, so I'll boast for him. He wrote that song. I've been singing it ever since he taught it to us. So, well done. Uh, today we're going to look at, I guess it's sort of a uh, piggyback off of last week's message. Uh, last week we talked about seven reasons why it's important to love one another. And uh, before we do that, why don't we start with the word of prayer. Our heavenly, gracious God, Father, we thank you so much for loving us and encouraging us through your word. Uh, Father, we are so grateful that you've given us the power and the ability to overcome past wounds and that we can live uh, a fruitful and, and uh, productive life today, God, uh, because of your word, because of the encouragement that we receive uh, from one another. Uh, God, we're just so grateful for the church, and we pray that we can really see and, and reap all of the benefits and blessings that you have in store for us uh, through being, by being a part of your body here on earth, God. And I pray that we can represent Christ the way that he had hoped and dreamed we would. And I pray, God, today that I can encourage us and spur us on towards those love and good deeds. And as we spend uh, this year focusing on loving our neighbor, God, I pray that you will bless every action, every attempt, every word that comes from our mouths. Uh, will be pleasing in your sight. We love you. Be with me at this time. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we looked at seven reasons why it's important to love one another. And you know, one of the major reasons is our interdependency and our dependence on one another. God had woven that into his plan for his church. God had fully intended for the church to meet one another's needs. And that God would move powerfully through us as we show each other his love. Jesus needed John the Baptist to, pray, to pave the way. That's why John was born. That was his purpose in life, was to pave the way for Jesus. John the Baptist needed Jesus. They needed each other. Because without Jesus actually coming and walking earth, the earth, John's prophecy, his, his preaching, was in vain. So he needed Jesus. Paul needed Peter, and Peter needed Paul. Paul needed Barnabas. Barnabas needed John Mark. Timothy needed Paul. Paul needed Priscilla and Aquila, and so on, and so on, and so on. James needs Zalika. Zalika needs James. We all need Jesus. We need each other. We need each other. I have yet to see a strong Christian do it by themselves. We all need each other. And today, together, we make up the body of Christ. All of us together make up and reflect the body of Christ. The first Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. 
Every member of the body of Christ is important, just like every member of a family. Everyone is important. Every single one of us. Paul compares the body of Christ, the church, to a human body. When you see him, uh, when he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about how every part, every individual makes up that one body. So we can't say, well, I don't need you and I don't need you. No, we need each other. We need each other. And so today's message is entitled Body Language. Body Language. Think about it. When you communicate something, right, when you're talking to people, you hear their words, right? But what speaks louder than the words? Their body language. Their body language. And so we could be a group of people who say we're Christians, talk about being Christians, but what's really important is how we live. Our body language as a church. So we're going to talk individually, but... I'm talking today about what we can do together, because what we do individually will affect what we do as a whole. And so as a body, what type of language, what are we communicating to those around us? What are we communicating to those who visit us for the first time? What do they see when they walk through these doors? Do they see a church that loves to sit together or people spread out and scattered? Do they see people who value our time together and who are here early and want to be here and can't wait to get here and they welcome you when you come in? Or do you see people rushing in to get in? Body language communicates a lot. And we want to make sure that we're communicating what Jesus wants us to. Jesus says, by your love for one another, all men will know that we are his disciples. In other words, they will know his body language. And what is communicating through us. Amen? So there's some things that we should avoid. Because they could, have, they could send the wrong message. And then there are things that we can do to make sure that we're continuing to communicate the right message of Jesus. Amen? So we're going to look at some things to avoid. And we're going to look at some things we can do and continue doing to send the right message. Amen? Let's look at some things to avoid. The first thing the Bible talks about, we're going to look at the book of James to really help us through this. All right? James addressed practical, everyday issues in that book. And there are a lot of very practical things that we can look at that can really help us to make sure that we're communicating the right body language. So the first thing is, the first thing we want to avoid is all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. First James, in James chapter 1, verse 21, it says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you, which can save you. Now, when you see strong, the Bible's full of very strong language. Language that you and I may not find comfortable using today. So I'm thinking when, when, when the church read this letter, they're thinking, well, what is he talking about? Get rid of moral filth. Who's he calling moral filth? But this is what he noticed, and he was an elder in the church, so James knew a, a, a couple things. He saw some things. And he's talking, the language he's using here is a once and for all command. He's like, get rid of this once and for all. And it's compared to taking off filthy rags, taking off dirty clothes that you never intend to put on again. 
So Paul is saying, Jesus is saying, get rid of those clothes. They're filthy. Get rid of them. Now, you, it doesn't take a vivid imagination to imagine what he's talking about. There are some things that were once a part of our lives that we should never put on again. That we should never entertain again. Sisters, there's some dresses you wore before Christ that shouldn't even be hanging up in your closet. When you go through your closet and you're looking at, well, what am I going to wear to midweek? Uh, uh, oh, whoa, oh, 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 no, Lord, I can't wear that anymore. Uh, church, no, oh, we are having the Christmas party. Well, I can't wear that anymore. I mean, there's just some things you just need to get rid of. There are videos, brothers, that were once in our cabinet that should no longer be in our cabinet. And I'm not just talking about the extremely dirty kind. I'm also talking about the bootleg kind. The stolen kind. The one that your friend brought over and let you hold on that you never gave back because, hey, I saw Black Panther yesterday. It ain't even the thing, so how do you get to see it before everybody else? If my friend, my man's in them. He let me hold it. He let me borrow it. There are things that were part of our life that we should get rid of and never go back to. And that's what James is talking about here. He's encouraging us to get rid of those bad habits and practices just as you take off dirty clothes, raggedy clothes that you never intend to put on again. Get rid of it. Moral filth. He's talking about things that, that polluted our bodies and our minds and our hearts before coming to Christ. You know, you know when you think about body language, body language is a nonverbal communication. So when your personal life is communicating one thing and your words are communicating one thing, what do you think people are going to believe? They're going to believe what you do. Forget about what you just said. They're going, to look, they're going to believe what you do and how you live. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, listen to what it says. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, we may look at this and think, okay, well, there's no hint of sexual immorality in my life. There's no hint of any kind of impurity. Uh, there's no, I'm not greedy. I don't want a lot of money. But, oh, 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 do you have more things than you really need? And here's a test for that. Is there something in your home that you forgot that you had? You were cleaning through your closet, you stumbled on something, and here's the worst. It's still in the packaging. You bought it, you forgot you even had it. You know, sometimes we have more things than we really need. We buy things because we think that we're going to need them. And, you know, our brother, uh, uh, our brother Tom hit on this last, uh, last week and midweek, you know, just having excess things, material possessions that we really don't need. So is there a hint of that greed in your life? Obscenity and foolish talk. What's the talk like at work? Coarse joking. Do you get caught up, find yourself getting caught up 
and, and, and cross joking, slandering people. These are all improper for God's people. This is the moral filth that, that James is talking about right here. These are some 30 clothes that we need to get rid of. The next thing is showing favoritism. Showing favoritism. I like this cartoon. The guy up here says, hello, is anyone, is this the church? And then you see this one guy getting preferential treatment right there. He actually has someone walking him to a seat. You know, as a minister, you always want people visiting your church to feel welcome. You know, 22 years ago, I remember when I walked through the doors of our church, I was greeted by this short Asian sister. She said, welcome, brother, and gave me a big hug. I did not know her from a hole in the wall, but I felt welcome. I felt welcome. And when I walked through the door, there were people smiling. Everyone's giving me a hug. And I'm thinking, what kind of place is this? I've never been to a place like that. Not even my own family. You go visit family, hey. You know, you come in the door, hey, give you a little side kiss. And, you know, you, you, you fend it for yourself. But I came to this church, and I'm thinking, man, these people are happy. It made me feel uncomfortable because I wasn't used to it. And you think about, well, what does the people see? Do they see people getting preferential treatment here? Or does everybody feel welcome? Does everyone feel welcome? James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes... And say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here, or better yet, you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. There should be no favoritism in the church. Everyone should feel equally valued, not only in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of each other. Everyone should feel equally, equally valued. You know, fellowship in Christ is designed to bring us together, not to divide us. In James's day, members were making a big fuss over rich conversions, people who were rich. Then they were over the ones who were poor. Oh, we just baptized another poor guy. Yay. And then that rich guy with the ring and the nice, hey, bro, come on over here, you know. I mean... They were making a big fuss over the rich and casting the poor brothers and sisters aside. And that's not right. Now, we may think, well, James, we don't do that here. I mean, we, first of all, we don't have anyone coming in church with a big gold ring and, 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 and fancy clothes. You might be surprised who you sit next to. A friend of mine years ago uh, met a guy uh, was introduced to me who played for the Green Bay Packers. And he walked into church, and he was blinged out. I mean, he had 
diamond rings. He had, I wish he had called me before he came to church and let me know how he was going because I could have gave him a little, little church etiquette there. But anyway, and this is when we had the old Harlem space. He walked in and people would come, James, was that one of your rap friends? Is that, yeah. Hey, man, can, can, you, can you introduce me? And, and I mean, this guy has so many brothers around him. And I'm thinking, man, that's this. Why don't I feel good about this? And every time, you know, it's like a different brothers getting the numbers, switching numbers, switching numbers, switching numbers. And I'm like, yeah, guys, we need to do this with everybody that comes to our church. Everyone who is seeking Jesus needs to feel special. We don't just roll out the red carpet for somebody who looks rich or who looks sharp. We need to redefine who's sharp. The sharp people are the ones who answer to Jesus. The ones who respond to the word. Not the ones who look like it on the outside, but the ones who react, who respond to the word of God. Do you show favoritism to a certain group, type, or class of people? I only roll with educated folk. I, don't, I can't hang with poor people. I don't want their brokenness to rub off on me. I worked hard for this. Truth is, we're naturally drawn to those who are like us or like those whom we want to be. But God calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to fellowship with everyone. The misuse of the tongue. We have to avoid this if we're going to communicate the right language. You know, I think Kenny did a very powerful job at communicating this point. He's still feeling the effects of his father's words. And even though their, reconciled has been, their, their relationship has been reconciled, the pain is still there. It's still there. You know, that should tell us about our words. The words that we say to one another, the words that we say to our spouse, and especially the words we say to our children. It is etched into our minds. I remember having a conversation with my mom when I was young, and she called me lazy. And that stayed in my mind for up until my adult years. It made me feel insecure. It made me feel like I wasn't a hard worker. It made me feel like I'm not working hard. And so what did I do? I overcompensated in a lot of areas because I didn't want to appear lazy. Now, some people, you don't care about their opinion. If they call you something, you brush it off. Because they don't know you. But people who know you, people whom you love and respect and look up to, when they say something, it just strikes a chord in your heart and it stays at a place in your mind that takes years to overcome, if at all. Words. The Bible tells us, Jesus says that everyone will be, we will be held accountable for every careless word we've said. Can you remember the last five careless words you said? Jesus says that we will be held accountable for every careless word. I can't remember every careless word I've said. And it's scary to think that God would hold me accountable if I not repented for every careless word that I've said. In James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes, it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is, and is itself set on fire by hell. That is some powerful language right there. I mean, James is saying words matter. And as I listened to Kenny and I listened to the words that were said to him, I thought, you know what? It's also equally damaging not hearing words of encouragement from those you love and look up to. And even in the church, if you've never heard an encouraging word from a brother or sister in Christ, that impacts you just as much as if someone said you were dumb, you were stupid, you were lazy. Because when you don't hear those words, what happens to our mind? We wonder, what are people thinking about me? And then we become obsessed with what people think about us. And it's because we don't know what they're thinking. We don't know what people are thinking. This is why it's important to say words. You know, there's a book called The Five Love Languages. And one of the love languages is words of affirmation. Some people need to hear the words more than others. It just makes them feel loved. It's not that you're, you're flattering them or you're stroking their ego. It's, that's how they feel loved. That's how they connect with you. If we never heard God's words, would you believe that God loved you? I believe that's one of the reasons why we have the Bible in written form, because God communicates his love to us through words. Through words. The tongue has the power to ruin or heal relationships. When I thought about this, I thought, well, what are some misuses of the, of the tongue? Lying and deceit. When you tell a lie and you're deceitful and you're deliberate about it, that's a misuse of the tongue. Jesus says that when we lie, we speak the very language of Satan. It's his native tongue when we lie. But when we speak the truth, the truth will set us free. This truth is connected to God. It's connected to Jesus. But when we lie, what are we lying for? Eventually, these lies catch up to us. Cursing, coarse joking, we already talked about that. How about gossip and slander? That's another misuse of the tongue. Talking about somebody behind their back, that you saying things behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face, not only is it cowardly, but it's also gossip. When you're saying hurtful things about a person, things you don't like about a person, say it to their face. Tell them what you think. Hash it out. Don't go talk behind their back. That doesn't help anybody. And it sends the wrong message. That is one of the biggest critiques that people have about churches. Is I don't want to go to any church because it's full of gossips. And that's not entirely true because it's gossips everywhere you go. But in the church... There should not be a hint of gossip. There should not be a hint of gossip. And we're going to talk about how to communicate need for others at another time. But there's a way you can do that without betraying someone's trust and without gossiping about people. Another misuse is arguing an angry outburst. Some people pride themselves in being angry. Some people, and, and usually this is a boast among men. Oh, bro, my temper, when, my, when I get upset, clear the room. I mean, you know, don't, you don't want to be near me. 
And we make excuses. We give ourselves passes when we get angry. Well, I only curse when I get angry. That's not acceptable. Jesus would not be a perfect sacrifice if he cursed when he got angry. If he flipped over the tables and were like, bleep and bleep, bleep and bleep and bleep, bleep. Take this, this is my body. Drink this, this is my blood. We'd be like, ho, ho, hold up, Jesus. Can we talk about what you just said there, Bobby? You said some things. I don't know if I can un unthink those words. I mean, imagine if Jesus excused himself when he got angry and just cursed all over the place. That's not a good enough excuse. The Bible says, do, in your anger, do not sin. That includes how you use your tongue. You know, our tongue can blow things way out of proportion. A very simple mis misunderstanding can be blown up into an extravagant argument that now paints the picture of the whole church. Those are very, those, those battles you cannot win. When you, when you include everybody in a one-on-one -on -one disagreement, you never get those resolved. Because there's no possible way you can know what everybody's thinking. There's no way you can know. You can't paint it with a bra. Oh, this church is... And you don't know that. And the thing that gets me the most is when people say things like, you know, uh, a lot of people are thinking and a lot of people are feeling. So you talk to everybody in the church. You, had a certain, you took a poll and everybody said that. And it usually comes down, when you start asking questions, it usually comes down to one or two people. One or two people that they've been talking amongst themselves, and now those two people were multiplied into everybody. A lot of people. So a lot of people want to do this. A lot of people don't like this. A lot of people, you know, I talk to a lot of people, and I can tell you that's not what a lot of people are thinking. Let's not misuse our tongue. Unguarded lips. There's a saying that came from World War II, loose lips may sink ships. It was because back in those days, information was sensitive. And they were warning the American cup, they were warning the American people that if you be careful what you say, because you can be talking to a spy. You can be talking to someone that can bring harm and danger to our country. So this whole, this whole saying was born from that. Loose lips can actually sink ships. You can give sensitive information to the enemy and they can send these coordinates and, and, and destroy our fleets. And so Satan uses that same tactic in the church. Loose lips can sink families. Relationships. We have to guard our tongue. Our tongue. Careless talks can cause lives. And then lastly, selfishness. In James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, what is causing quarrels among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want, you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Here James reveals the root cause of much strife in relationships, and that it's nothing more than just selfishness. And as a result, sometimes in the church, instead of fighting the war against Satan, we end up warring against one another. And there's some tactics that some of us use 
Some Christian warfare tactics that are fueled by selfishness. We launch ballistic missiles at one another. Attacking people from a distance, like social media or text message. There's guerrilla tactics. We're ambushing unsuspecting disciples. Hitting people with years of things that they never knew they said or did. And they get ambushed. Well, I never knew that we uh, ambushed. And then there are those snipers. They're the ones that are just kind of waiting and they... They got those pinpoint well-aimed criticisms. It's ready to tear you to pieces. And then there's those, those landmines that, that people put out. Ensuring that others will fail in trying to serve. You sure you want to do that? I did that, and let me tell you, I mean, we're just blowing up people's aspirations, blowing up people's dreams, keeping people from doing things that they want to do. And then there's espionage. It's that, those spy games. Using relationships and friendships to get potential damaging information on other Christians, and then we, you, hey, you know what so-and-so did? Girl, you know, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway, so. We're just gathering information with the intent to, to use that information. It ain't like we're asking so we can just go to pray to, pray to God. It's like some of us, we want to use this information. And it's all driven from selfishness. Propaganda. Using gossip to spread damaging information about others. And then there's the Cold War. Freezing out a brother or a sister by withdrawing or refusing to talk to them. You know there's something going on. You know you need to talk. And instead of hashing it out, you give them the cold shoulder. They walk past you and you get a chill. You get frostbite on your shoulder because it's so cold. You can't even sit in the same room because it's so cold. You can't talk to each other. We don't expect that from our own families. Why should we expect that from one another? It's because I don't feel like talking. That's a selfish reason. And then there's the nuclear attack. We're willing to blow up the whole church's reputation and name because everyone appears to keep you from getting what you want. And it's like a nuclear bomb. Everybody's in the blast radius. James says that the real problem is selfishness. Selfishness. The me, me, me mentality. When we deal with us first, a lot of these conflicts can be easily resolved. When we deal with our own hearts first. When we deal with our own hearts first. And so these four things can prevent a congregation from displaying the body language of Jesus. And we have to be diligent to never allow them to infect the relationship we have as a body of Christ. Amen? Now, at the same time, James tells us there's some things that we can do to make sure that we are communicating the right and proper body language of Jesus. So let's look at some things we can do. Some things is all good. All right? See challenges as opportunities. We can grow in our own faith individually by seeing the challenges 
that are before us as opportunities to grow and not reasons to take a break from being Christians. In James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, consider it pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 2015 and 16 was hard for us in the Warren household. And many times I wanted to take a break. I wanted to walk away. Because I'm thinking too many people are dependent on me. I need a break. I need to go and work on my relationship with God. But then what would that communicate to the rest of you? But what was more powerful was considering what we were going through as, a, as an opportunity to grow and mature. When you see Christians persevere, and I'm not saying it is easy. But when you see Christians persevere, when you see them trusting God, when you see them opening up their hearts, when you see them being vulnerable, when you see them praying like their lives depend on it, is that not inspiring? But when people walk away, you're thinking, man, if he's not going to make it, if James is not going to persevere, if Zelika's not going to then what hope do I have? But when we look at our trials as an opportunity to grow, that sends the right message. Because Jesus did tell us that we will have hardship in this life. He did tell us. He said that we will face trials and persecutions. So it wasn't like we were blindsided. We knew what we were signing up for when we said, Jesus is Lord. We knew. So when it comes, we shouldn't be caught off guard. We should thank God that it came. Because now we get an opportunity to grow. He doesn't say that you need to like the trials. He doesn't even say you need to be happy about them. But I tell you right now, when I see Junior Hickman walk through those doors, knowing all the physical trials that he's going through, that encourages my faith. That inspires me. Because I know what he's going through on a day-to-day -day basis. And not only is this brother fighting to stay close to God, he's fighting to stay close to each other. He's willing to use his gift for God. He's willing to serve. And I have to tell him, no, take care of yourself. But that's his heart. Because he's considering these trials as pure joy, as an opportunity to grow. We have more brothers and sisters like that in our church. When we get to see what these brothers and sisters endure, it does something to our faith. It encourages our hearts. Pray for wisdom. If you don't, if you're not happy with the direction of the church, pray and ask God to give James and Zalika wisdom. Instead of complaining, pray for us. Pray for us. You know, whenever I have a beef with anything that's not, I don't feel great about, first thing I do, I, turn to turn, I try to turn to God. Because I know when it happens that it was God. That it was God. You don't ever want something just because you complained about it. You want it because people actually care about you and want to do it for you. They want the right reasons. And that doesn't mean that we can't talk about things, that we can't bring up things that we see, 
But when you complain and it's motivated by a selfish reason, it, doesn't, it falls on deaf ears because it doesn't come out the right way. But when you pray and you ask God, Father, give me wisdom on how to speak to my brother and my sister. God, give them wisdom on where to direct us and what needs. You know, we met with the, the Latin leaders last night. And I was so encouraged. You know, we went in the meeting, talking, wanted to talk about one thing, and then we ended up talking about another thing, and it was totally God that took it where it went. And I was so grateful for the couples that we, was, that we sat down and we talked about the needs of the Latin ministry. It opened my eyes to things that I didn't see. And I'm just thinking, God, amen. Amen. This is how we work things out. And I know that they've been praying for wisdom. They've been praying for God to help us to see the needs. And you know what? That is how the body communicates unity is we sit down, we work things out together over some good food. Over some good, look, if you want the talk to go well, cook a good meal. How could you argue over a, a, a beautiful spread of delicious ribs and, 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 I mean, it was awesome. And I'm thinking, man, you know, this, this is beautiful right here. I wish all my talks were like this. But we're working together. We're working together. And it helps when we're humble towards one another. We submit to each other. That, we need each other. We need these brothers and sisters to help us to know how to lead our church. And so we need you. I'm asking, pray for wisdom for us. Pray and ask God to give us the wisdom we need to lead, your, to lead you. Amen? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I know we can park. I know this is a whole sermon series in and of itself, but we ain't got time for all that. In verse 19, my brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God deserves. He didn't say don't speak at all. He didn't even say don't get angry. He just said get slow. You're not going to like everything that someone says to you, especially if they're pointing out something about your kids. If someone's pointing out something about your kids... The furnace starts getting turned up a little bit. My son has a best friend. They're not members of our church. Now, they spend time, we spend time over each other's house. His son comes over, he's not always an angel. But I would like to think that my kid, all the devotionals that we've done, all the praying that we do would be the angel, would set the example. It's not always the case. So their parents said some things. And I'm like, they ain't talking about my son. So as my wife is talking to me, my body language, I didn't say anything. I was quick to listen. I was slow to speak. And I was working on slow to become angry. I was working on it. But as she was talking, I felt the temperature rising. 
And it wasn't that they said anything harsh. Don't get me wrong. It's just that they had to talk to him. And I'm thinking, why are you talking to my son? But you see, that's what we got to humble out. People going to see things in your kids. They are. Do you give people permission to talk to you about it? Now, I understand sometimes we go through seasons where it seems like all the news is bad. And then God gives us a break and it is a season where it is all praise. But if, we're, if we can handle those bad seasons well, then we'll appreciate those good seasons even more. But we need to be able to talk to each other without the fear of, of a confrontation or attack. We need to be able to speak the truth and love to each other. And that can, really, that can only happen if we have active listening. We're practicing active listening. We're listening to understand, to empathize, and hopefully eventually apologize if you are guilty. But if you cut people off before they even get the words out of their mouth, whoa, whoa, whoa let me just stop you right there. You just undid everything. So, again, we want to send the right, right communication, the right message, poor communication, short tempers can quickly destroy a relationship. But when people feel heard and they feel listened to and they feel validated, it builds up the body. It makes the church feel loved. We need to practice that more with one another. And then lastly, practice pure and unpolluted religion. In James 1, verses 22 through 27, it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You know, this involves every single one of us. Keeping ourselves from being polluted by the world, guarding our hearts, training our minds, renewing our way of thinking so that we're not allowing the world to influence us more than we are the Bible. This is what FaceTime with God is. It's looking at looking at the word and having it reflect back to you. Okay, this is what I'm reading. What do I see? How am I doing in this area? You might be surprised. You might be surprised. You might, you might be hard on yourself and think that you're not doing good at anything until you talk to someone else and say, hey, how do you think I'm doing in this area? And I think, you know what? I think you're a great example in this area. So give yourself a little credit. But we have to be deliberate about it. We have to do these things. We have to make sure that we're practicing the right things and that we're getting the only way to get rid of a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. If you stop a habit, it's only a matter of time before it comes back if you don't replace it with something good. So if, if, if gossip is a bad habit, then practice not gossiping, but then talking good about other people, building people up. 
raising people up with your words. If you're trying to change something bad, replace it with something good. You know, some people come from a smoking background. Maybe, maybe that's how you de-stress. Maybe that's how you cope with stress and anxiety in your life. Just stopping, amen, that's a good thing, but what are you going to replace it with? This is where prayer and deep meditation comes in. This is what talking to other people on a heart level, dealing with the stress and anxiety in your life, you got to get rid of that. But you got to replace that bad practice with good practices. Amen? Letting our actions speak louder than our words. Not just talking about it, but being about it. This is what James is talking about here. And, you know, scholars and, and, and theologians years before had issues with that because they felt like, well, we shouldn't have to prove our faith. We should just have faith. These are talk, this is talking about deeds. So James is saying, no, no, no. You can't claim to have faith and not back it up with deeds. Otherwise, it's dead. And so if we're disciples of Jesus, then we have to put some action behind those words. You are saved by grace. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. But we can live like we're grateful for our salvation. Amen? When we attend the needs of the less fortunate, that's putting truth behind our practice. When the opportunity comes for us to serve in areas like hope, hope, in, uh, hope in, 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 the, in our communities, you know, when the hope activity, that's an opportunity for us to serve. When a need arises in the church, there's opportunities right here in our local church we can have to serve to meet the needs of the less fortunate in our, in our community. And I can imagine, I mean, think about how beautiful and wonderful it would be if the congregation, if everybody was practicing this kind of religion, that every person, that every child in our church felt loved and supported, they were, that they were a part of a close-knit village, and that every member of our church felt included and felt important and felt valuable and felt valued by every member in the church. Imagine what that church would look like. And then decide that you're going, to take, you're going to do something to see that happen in our church. Amen? Jesus' body language spoke louder than his words. He died on the cross. There is no greater communication of love than dying for those you love. And that's exactly what Jesus did. With arms stretched wide, Jesus communicated the greatest language of love through what he did with his own body. And now that you and I are part of his spiritual body on earth, let's make sure that we can do whatever we can to communicate the love that Jesus' body was always intended to be. Thank you, and God be the glory.